Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Faith here with a welcome toast. It was Graham Greene who said, Champagne, if you are seeking the truth, is better than a lie detector. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in small bites or eat the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We have on the show the cocktail columnist for the New York Times, Robert Simonson. He is so phenomenal. He's done this book called Three Ingredient Cocktails. So we have, as a group, uh, put together a list of our favorite small ingredient cocktails, all involving sparkling wine. This is where your Prosecco comes in. We've got a list of sparklers on the site, but we want to start with brunch ideas for either New Year's Eve day if you're off or for uh, New Year's Eve day if you're off. And also, I'd love for you to join us on Facebook and tell us what is your tradition at the start yeah. of a new year or mm. even for new a celebratory. Oh, yeah. You know, what do you do? Do you is it a dinner that you have mm. on New Year's Eve? Is it a thing you go to? I used to have friends who would go to the Big Apple Circus every year when that existed. What is it that you do at home? Is it making a pot of a particular stew, doing a family recipe, uh, going out for Chinese food, as many people do? Talk with us about this, and we're going to talk with you about it. The address is Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, Mark Raymond. Our senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey. Happy Um, New Year. Yes. Let's Let's do the – we've got sparklers out on the table. We have that list, as I promised, and our site right now. Mm -hmm. You still have time to get them, and these are all available in our broadcast area. One, if you live in either New York or you're passing through or going to Rhode Island. Um, let's do some brunch brainstorming right now. What, what's your tradition? I do a simple thing, and I call it a bacon cheese enchilada. And Ooh. it sounds a lot fancier, but really— it sounds all, like what I want to have. Yeah, but it really—all I do is I scrambled some eggs, which is really simple, right? I just take maybe four or five eggs, scramble them, salt and pepper, and then I set them aside. Nice so they and, don't have to be hot. No, they don't have to be hot. Okay. Then I have my uh, bacon already nice and crispy, you know, out of the oven. And then I buy a black bean paste or spread kind of thing or a dip that I get at any supermarket, you know, usually in the salsa aisle. So I take— corn tortillas and I take a little bit of egg. I smear a little bit of the black bean on it, on the little tortilla, a little bit of egg, one slice of bacon, and I roll them. And as I roll them, I put them in a clear baking dish. Like a casserole. Like a casserole, but a rectangle one. And I line them up. And then I just top them with some shredded cheddar and I throw them in a 350-degree oven until they're warm. How about salsa? Do you want to put it in salsa? I love this. Put it in the oven, warms everything up, melts the cheese, and then you can ah. serve salsa on the side, sour cream on the side. Well, you can make them the night before. 
You Did can make you them the night before. Did you put cheese on the inside? No, too, I only put cheese on the, on the outside, outside. But sure, you could put cheese on the. These are the things you that you can make cream? your own. Yeah, uh, just, oh, yeah. but it's wow. the idea of having it made, ready to go. Yeah. Toss it in the oven. Oh, I yeah. was going to talk about the bagel and cream cheese, and now I'm completely <laughs> yeah. disinterested right? in my own yeah, thing. And, yeah, and then I'm sure there's a cocktail coming that would work great with it. <laughs> oh, my God. That is, no, we do have a tequila uh, champagne cocktail. I just want to say yeah. that to you, but hmm. wow, I love that. Okay, what do we got? Mark Raymond, go. Inevitably, we're going to have some leftover panettone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so why not turn it into some French toast? That'll be oh. excellent, you know, a little... Little uh, egg wash there mm-hmm. with a little bit yeah. of cinnamon, a uh, little vanilla, Sugar. maybe a little molasses. Uh-oh. Stir Fake. it all up and then dip the panettone in there into the frying pan. Yeah. And some oh. butter. Oh, my goodness. And challah. Oh, yeah. It also Hala. makes a yeah. beautiful French toast. If I were to do it panettone, what I'd do is I'd cut it up into cubes. And I would take my egg and milk mixture. Yeah. I'd whip it up a little bit, and then I would pour it over the top of those. Oh, great right? idea! Yeah, some white chocolate over the yeah. top. Oh, great uh, idea! And where's the maple syrup? Wait when a minute, it comes what is this? Oven? Is this a French toast or it's bread like a baked, baked French toast? Like a pudding, yeah. a bread French yeah, toast. I call yeah. it any hard bread. I, I like that. That soaking it in it. Little this cinnamon. Is awesome. Now, do you see why we want you on Facebook talking about what you do? Or if you want to do a spin on some recipe these folks are talking about, please do. Can't wait to talk with you. Alex Province. You know, if you have leftover eggnog, you can take the panettone and then oh. make French toast using eggnog as oh, a base. Yeah. There wow. you go. Mm. I some like it. Sugar. That uses it up. Yeah. I like that. There's any left. How many people go to the supermarket and buy croissant? And they come in these, you know, sort of industrial-sized boxes, especially if you're going to a box store. Yeah. And they line them up in a casserole dish and put the equivalent of an eggnog mixture on top of them with some cinnamon and into the oven it goes. And that's what they serve on on either Christmas morning or uh, New Year's Day for brunch. So there you go. Hey, Alex Province. You have a pile of grapes next to you. And before we get to that, can I tell you that we've got all kinds of three-ingredient cocktails coming. And ours are very simple, but they involve, you know, Proseccos and these simple sparkling wines at all kinds of different price points. Also, we want you to see something that is a classic. It's a food schmooze classic. If you go to our homepage, you're going to see us sabering a bottle of champagne with Jacques Pepin. And it is one of the treasured things we have here. And it's easier than you think. It's right on the homepage, foodschmooze.org. The grapes, Alex. This is a tradition Mm. in the Spanish culture that you belong to. Yeah. So at midnight, just 12 seconds before the clock strikes 12, everyone would be in the square like the Plaza Mayor. You'd have your bunch of grapes. You'd have your cava and a flute. And as the 12 last seconds count down, you pop a grape in your mouth. So you end up with 12 grapes in your mouth okay. and, you know, and then you uh, try not to choke. Honestly, <laughs> totally unplanned. Totally. Chris Prosperi, you got the timer? Yeah, hold on. Okay, Alex Let's Provence. get the timer going. I'm supposed to eat 12 on, of these? Can you do deck. it? Just sure. a second. Let's Chris get the says timer go. Whenever you're ready. Go. Let's ready, see set, how go. easy All right. this is. Mm-hmm. Go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three, four, four, five, five six, oh, seven. Eight, mm. nine. I'm nine. gonna go with you. Ten. Mm. Okay. All okay. right. One second. 
Done. Done. He got it. Right. Lord, you can do it. But he's got a mouth. Look at his mouth he looks like grapes. a squirrel, but honestly, that was just absolutely heroic. I was gonna. You know what? I had my doubts when he told me this early that you can actually get twelve no, grapes I in your mouth that, in twelve seconds. That's impossible. <laughs> I thought it was must be a drinking game or something. But he, that's just impossible. And then you wash it down with the comma. That's a serving of fruit right there. <laughs> <laughs> that was really spectacular. Uh, Thanks for, for uh, indulging me. <laughs> Let's continue with the brunch ideas. There is something about New Year's morning where I do start to think about toasted bagel, oh, lox, yeah. and cream cheese, though mm-hmm. I feel like I'm sounding a little dull compared to your spectacular ideas. But there is something really, classic. really great about that. Oh, yeah. Good smoked, bagel? smoked salmon on a morning on like a that is bagel, just yeah. classic. Yeah. It's the so, savory side. It's just... Uh. There are people who get up and do traditional things, like uh, special pancakes that they make every year mm-hmm. um, on uh, New 50 Year's morning. 50 pounds of bacon. Lots yeah. Of you know, you got to make the bacon. Being awoken by That smell of bacon oh, just wafting through the house. Oh. You're like, oh... Maybe, so you know maybe you're I will get up now. <laughs> and Chris, Chris in the, from the restaurant world, what's the scene? I think most restaurants are actually closed. There are a bunch that do brunch. I've worked in ones that serve New Year's brunch at uh, the clock would tick 12. You'd have your champagne toast. You'd have a couple more cocktails and relax. Yep. And then we'd start all over again and do a 1 a.m. brunch. <laughs> <laughs> to keep the party going. Wow. Yeah. This is in New York or here? No, that's here in Connecticut. Wow. Yeah, where you go right from the celebrating to the celebrating, right? Wow. Yeah. Okay, what else about brunch? What I'm not hearing is chocolate. I'm not going to do a whole breakfast that's just sweets. But on New Year's morning, New Year's Day morning, I do want a little taste of chocolate. Mm. Now, it might be hot chocolate. Chris, go. Uh, growing up, my dad used to do chocolate croissants. Oh. And he'd bring them home he from his pastry shop. Yeah. yeah. He'd bring them home from oh. his pastry shop, and we'd have that on holiday mornings. Oh. You just put them back oh. in the oven to refresh them, and that chocolate just melts inside oh. the croissant. Yeah. And so, what a combination. Chris, yeah. I want to ask you, because your father is this famed pastry chef, I am not ever going to make a croissant. It's just not going to happen. (laughs) And plus, I love them so much. I know I wouldn't do it justice, and then I'd be so disappointed. (laughs) But Mm. I often think if I found a croissant I like, why Mm. can't I melt some chocolate and then put them in a kind of casserole dish and just pour the melted chocolate Mm. over the top of the croissant if I don't happen to have chocolate-filled croissants. Can I do that? Totally. I could even that sounds good. crush, now, yeah. not crush only that, nuts on top or whatever you want. We used to cheat when we were kids and we didn't get the chocolate ones because those were the fancy ones. We would just get regular just croissants. Just put a chocolate bar no, we Yeah, we'd yeah. cut it into like a sandwich, cut yeah. it down the middle, put the chips in it, fold it back over and put it in the oven. It wasn't as good because, of course, he used a better chocolate, but so, boy, yeah. was it good. So whether <laughs> it's on top, whether it's inside, inside if it's yeah. not a chocolate croissant, you can open it up, as Chris oh, is saying, like sandwich. and do your own thing. <laughs> or both. Or both. Or both. Right <laughs> in the middle and on top. Well, this whole, this whole discussion of chocolate gets me going back to Spain and yeah. they make hot chocolate that is like, it's like pudding. It's not even... For I the mean, churros? Where you yeah. dip the churros in there. Yeah. And I'm thinking like to myself, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's thick, right? We don't do that yeah. here. Our hot yeah. chocolates hot. are very thin I mean, thin you can eat watery. the hot chocolate with a spoon. Yeah. It's so thick. And wow. it's not super sweet either. We just had churros um, in Galicia. There was a restaurant 
like an old-fashioned bistro from the old days, and it, and everyone was in there at four o'clock eating their churros and chocolate. Was, so this so is good. such a European thing. Yeah. Where at four o'clock, you go out and have a little something, and then there's dinner at eight nine o'clock, right? So exactly. Yeah. That something is often something sweet. In France, you're talking about this in Spain and, yeah. and Argentina. So it would be. A little piece of cake, a little hot chocolate mm. in the afternoon. And I, I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that before dinner. <laughs> but, you know, it's starting to really appeal to me as an idea. We don't do that here in the United States. We should. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I notice in Spain or in Europe, they eat more regularly, smaller meals. And it keeps your – it kept my mood sort of – you know, you, you don't go a long period of time without eating. So I like the idea that they're regimented uh, with yeah. smaller you know, meals, smaller more. breakfast, a little. Yeah. Yeah. But it's dessert. They, the it's day. not yeah. that they're having cheese. They're having dessert at 4 o'clock, and that has always amazed me. It's a good time it, to have dessert, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Is well, there a bad starving. time for dessert, really? <laughs> you're just yeah. How about in Argentina, Mark? Do they, they, do have, a Europe, do they have a New break. Year's tradition? You know, the one time I was there for New Year's, we were out at one of their um, what they call quinchos. It's a house out in the country. And it's really all about what they're grilling that night. And usually it's a small pig. And we did this Mm. amazing – it's a little bit bigger than a suckling pig, probably about 80 pounds. They cook it all day. I started with – You smell um, it all day. With my wife's cousin. We started cooking it at like noontime. We didn't eat until 9 o'clock that night. So that thing just slowly roasted (laughs) all day. And you just put a little bit more coals under it. Crispy skin? Oh, super crispy. Falls Why off can't we eat oh, that right So, now? so good. Every that weekend. sounds so good. Yeah. In Scotland, New Year's Eve is a huge, it is probably the biggest holiday of the year. This is where wow. my people are from. I remember once when I was a kid, we were, I was visiting my relatives for the first time in Glasgow. And, you know, I was so stunned that, that New Year's Eve was such an event. And they kept saying, if a redhead crosses your door on New Year's Eve, you will have luck for the year. Wow. And wow. then, you know, in addition to all kinds of things, you have fish and chips. They come around in trucks and it's mm. wrapped in newspaper. Oh. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. And then Puerto Rico, they have Coquito. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, we and we've done once. tastings sure. of that on the show. That it is that yeah. eggnog. It is so far superior to traditional American eggnog, in my opinion. It yeah. has the most delicious. When there is an award winner, especially chosen in New Haven, mm-hmm. it is just staggeringly good. Yeah. I, I'm just knocked out by Coquito. And there would be a lot of marinating and cooking of pork and whatnot. Though, to be fair, Puerto Rico has been really trying to recover from what's going on there. Yeah. And my, my heart is with them. Okay, yeah. go you ahead. You know, speaking of good luck, my mom always believed, and I think she learned this in Jackson, Mississippi, that on New Year's Day you have to have black beans and rice. Yes. And so, mm. you know, yes, my right. mom's a Hop Spaniard, but, Hop you know, and, and it's, yeah. it's every yeah. New Year's we have yeah. to have it. Yeah, I think, our New Year's day. I think with the Italians, it's lentils. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. 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 lentil yeah. soup. Dinner or lentils yeah. Yeah. Uh, for In dinner yeah. right after the New huh. Year. Yeah, well, that, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking of all my favorite foods, and I was going to try and justify them and say, well, in Guam, what else can we get? Or it's like, <laughs> cheese souffle. And 
Um, all right. We have this incredible cocktail stuff coming your way. Don't forget on, on Facebook, go to Faith Middleton Food Schmooze and talk with us about your New Year's traditions. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. For all, for all Take a cup of kindness yet for days of old Days of old Days of old And here's a hand of my trusted friend and give a hand Faith Middleton, and I invite you to sign up for our free podcast, which is a copy of the show, essentially. As you probably know, this is the way that so many people now listen to radio shows and listen to independent producers. They get the podcast. And you can do that by just signing up once at our website, foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province, and wine broker Mark Raymond. We're going to get into cocktails and more, but so, so excited about our guest. It is the season of hearty and celebratory cocktails. And by now, you probably know my personal philosophy. I guess it's safe to say our personal philosophy about cocktails, which is simplicity. And that's why I'm excited about our guest, New York Times cocktail columnist Robert Simonson. He is a man with real taste and a great writer. His new book is called Three Ingredient Cocktails. Yes, you can make a great drink, as we've told you so often on the show, with just three ingredients. And just as you can swoon over, let's say, linguine, parmigiano-reggiano, and freshly grated um, lemon juice and zest. Now, that's a three-ingredient recipe. You can also swoon over Robert's Champagne Cocktail, which is made with just three things, dry champagne, Angostura bitters, and a sugar cube. We're going to get to that. It's delicious and a great way to salute a new year. We have that recipe from the book at our website right now. There are more, foodschmooze.org, including information about this book, Three Ingredient Cocktails. Robert Simonson, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Hello. Glad to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you with us. Would you talk for just a second about your, uh, I'll give you 15 seconds, <laughs> about your uh, philosophy of three-ingredient cocktails? As I said, we adore this. Why is it important to you? Well, I've been writing about cocktails for about 11 years, and I have been mm-hmm. tracking um, the cocktail revival 
and watching as the cocktails and the cocktail bars have become more ornate and complicated. Mm. And this was particularly true in the cocktail books that were coming out in the past few years, that yeah. um, they were rather complex, uh, and many of the recipes almost impossible for the layman to do. I thought it was a good idea to just remind people that, you know, great cocktails were in their grasp, and they could make them at home without you know, finding an obscure ingredient or, or doing an infusion or, or, or some such thing. I thought it was time uh, to remind them of the basics. The question tends to center on what's delicious, what would you return to, and what has quality ingredients? And I think that's what you're zeroing in on, Robert. Yes, and also wanted to remind people that the classic cocktails that live on, the ones that uh, we continue to like decade after decade, are simple cocktails. The three-ingredient cocktail is a time-honored formula that has proven sturdy and lasting again and again. Mm. Things from the martini to the Manhattan to the Moscow mule to the mint julep to the daiquiri, these are all just three ingredients. Oh, he said Moscow mm. mule. Oh. I think we have to get into that. <laughs> this has become one of the most popular cocktails. Three ingredients. This is so delicious. Do you have an idea of why this suddenly popped into being? Uh, yes. The Moscow Mule goes back to the 40s, and it's an unusual drink in that it was created entirely by uh, commercial concerns. Uh, most cocktails are created by bartenders who has a little, um, a little flash, a little eureka, and comes up with a new recipe. But the Moscow Mule came together because of uh, three people who had three things that they were trying to sell and they couldn't figure it out. One was John Martin, uh, who was the president of Hublin Company up there in Connecticut, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he had bought the rights to Smirnoff Vodka and didn't know how to sell it to Americans. This was back in the 40s. Another was Jack Morgan, who had a bar out in uh, Sunset Strip in L.A., and he uh, made ginger beer, and he didn't know how to sell that to the American public. And there was a third person who had a bunch of copper mugs and didn't know what to do with those. So they got together at a bar in L.A. called the Cock and Bowl, and they came up with the Moscow Mule. Isn't that what a great story. Wow. Every cocktail has a story that is so fantastic. <laughs> it was popular for a while in the 40s, but it's come roaring back in the past 10 years Again, mainly because of capitalism, uh, the, the vodka companies wanted to get in on this cocktail craze, but they didn't know how. And so they discovered this old cocktail, the Moscow Mule, and they started bringing it back. You know, they, they uh, started promoting ginger beer. They uh, would provide bars with free copper mugs and say, you know, start serving Moscow Mules. And it worked because Moscow Mules are everywhere now. It has to be good if you're going to return to it again and again, and, and people do. So um, you've got in here, and we have this on the website, foodschmooze.org, with information about this book, which is the single best cocktail book I have ever read and one of the best food books in general I have ever read because Robert Simonson is uh, a very literary guy and just a wonderful writer and has a great sense of history about things. Three Ingredient Cocktails is what it's called. So vodka, lime juice, and ginger beer. That's what makes something really delicious. Yes, it's as simple as that, and it is delicious. Although I would encourage people to go out and buy the copper mugs because it just makes it that much more special. Does it? <laughs> it is it um, 
psychological, yeah. feels good in the hand. What, what do you think? I think it's psychological. Um, uh, I've talked to many bartenders, and they say when mo- one Moscow mule goes out in that mug, they immediately sell 10 more. Um, it has that mm-hmm. visual appeal, hmm. and people get the idea in their head, this is a special drink. I want one of those. Oh, I want. Yeah. I want one of those cups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's in that cup? I mean, if you put it, if you put it in a see-through plastic cup, not as special looking. So no. we're, we're doing this because we're at that time of year when cocktails begin to be more interesting, especially the hearty ones, and also we're doing this because it's a celebratory time mm-hmm. and uh, to serve something in a special glass, as you're going to hear us talk about. It's just really, really fun. So, um, I, uh, Robert, I have was given years ago from Louis Nicole these beautiful silver cups that he had gotten from Verona, Italy. They're in a leather cup holder, and I use them for what they were designed for, I think, anyway, mint juleps. Oh. And it makes the mint julep into the most extraordinary experience. So, Glassware counts. Absolutely. Yeah. Glassware counts. And um, mint julep is another one of those drinks that if you have the proper vessel, it, it gives it a sense of occasion. I want to go to Robert Simonson, your cocktail called the Fair Harvard. This happens to be connected to an event with someone I respect tremendously in architecture, Deborah Burke, who's been on this show many times. So go ahead. Tell us about this. Most of the drinks in the book are classics, but there are some modern ones, and this is one I came up with myself. My uh, girlfriend is actually the uh, executive assistant to Deborah Burke, and Deborah Burke last year became the dean of the School of Architecture. At Yale. Yes, and uh, there was a tradition up there with the previous dean that after a guest lecture, there would be a martini hour. Everyone would get together and have martinis. Deborah wanted to shake it up a little bit. She wanted to do something different. She wanted a cocktail hour, and not just martinis, but all kinds of cocktails. And so for each lecture, I found out who was doing the lecture, what the lecture was about, and I tried to come up with a thematically linked cocktail for that event. It was quite tricky because all of the after events were in a gallery that was painted completely white. And I was under instruction not to use any dark liquors because they might stain the floor. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that takes away whiskey, that takes away cognac, that takes away a lot. But I managed to get through. I think the guest speaker was an alumni or a professor from Harvard. And, of course, there is a Harvard cocktail, but we couldn't serve that because it uh, involved brown liquor. Yeah. So I came up with something different that, with three ingredients, again, pisco, which is clear, uh, Mm. blanc vermouth, which is a sweet form of white vermouth, also clear, and then some orange bitters and a twist, and uh, that's it. Can you you tell us, for those who don't know, what pisco is? Pisco is an unaged grape brandy that is made in both Peru and Chile. It's delicious. Floral, too. Three-ingredient cocktails. We love this not only because it matches our philosophy on the show, but also because the simplest thing can be so delicious. Some people can go so crazy with a recipe of any kind, food or drink, and it gets too complicated. So we love what Robert Simonson has, has done, and I'm a longtime reader of his column in The Times. Okay, everybody. 
this classic is something that I adore, even though I like my champagne just straight. The champagne cocktail is one of the oldest cocktails out there, and it's one of the simplest. You would take like a champagne flute, you put a sugar cube at the bottom, you soak that sugar cube in Angostura bitters, and then you slowly fill the glass with dry champagne. Mm. And that causes the cube to disintegrate. A stream of microscopic bubbles slowly make their way from the bottom to the top mm. of the glass. And you probably can't wait, you know, till it's dissolved to sip some of it. But after a few sips, that sugar is gone. It's just a very elegant cocktail and simple. And for those two reasons, it's really endured. Robert, can you explain or can any of you folks chime in on why somebody decided, because champagne is a beautiful thing in and of itself, and one is so different from another, so you've got this champagne. Why would you add sugar to it? Why did that start? Well, I think it's just part and parcel with um, the whole impulse to create cocktails at all. The um, tradition in the old world was to drink spirits on their own, that they were good enough on their own. Mm. It was an American idea. Well, not entirely. The English, of course, were making punch for years. But it was an American idea to combine liquors and liqueurs and other ingredients in a single class, take a variety of things and create a new thing and present that as the beverage. The original definition of a cocktail was a combination of spirit sugar and bitters. So somebody just took that a step and like took a left turn and say, okay, how about instead of spirit, use sparkling wine and mm-hmm. see what happens. Chris, yeah. you're saying why not? Yeah and, yeah. I, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that about where the cocktail. See, I, I envisioned someone being like, I don't like champagne and then saying, oh, I'll, I'll, let me fix, <laughs> I'll fix it. Here that you go. You. <laughs> I'll add some sugar, Can some I have bitters. more of this, there please? We all know how wonderful champagne is, but Every now and then, perhaps, you're in the mood for a champagne cocktail. I went to um, a dinner party at a private home, some friends, and they made a picture of this champagne cocktail. And it was so crazy delicious. It was also deceptive. I had to kind of hold on to something to get to my dining (laughs) table. It goes down good. Be careful. (laughs) So very interested in this, before we get to the classic Manhattan, which has a wonderful story, really interested in this hanky-panky. The hanky-panky is another simple drink, uh, and it was invented at the American Bar at the Savoy Hotel in London by a uh, bartender named Ada Coleman, and that was about 100 years ago. It's a gin cocktail, and it's one of the few early cocktails that used uh, Fernet Branca as an ingredient. Fernet Mm -hmm. Branca is this very bitter Amaro that comes out of Mm -hmm. Italy, Mm -hmm. and they only use a few dashes of it, so it doesn't take over the drink, but it adds a nice accent. The Manhattan, we have to do it. We cannot end this segment without looking at the Manhattan, which has become so popular and it's one of my favorite sections in your book, Robert, because you tell a fabulous story about it and um, put the end to a myth about Manhattans that you have to have the most exquisite bourbon to make your Manhattan. Some people prefer it with rye, but go ahead. Please tell us about it. Uh, Yes. Well, touching on that, some people think that if you have a better quality or more expensive spirit, you'll end up with a better drink. 
And I think with the Manhattan, that's not true. That Manhattan's a very democratic drink. You can you can take I'm not not necessarily like a bottom shelf rye or bourbon, but economical rye and bourbon. You know that cost twenty or twenty five dollars and end up with a perfectly lovely drink. So in that way, it's a drink that is well within the grasp of you know the average home bartender. Yeah. Um, so bourbon or rye, a little bit yeah, of both are good. Sweet vermouth and Angostura bitters. And then we get into this business of adding a little bit of the real cherry juice along with a, with a cherry. Where does that fall in line? Depending on your tastes, uh, there are two accepted garnishes for the Manhattan. One is a cherry, which I prefer, and one is a lemon twist, which I have nothing against. Um, I, (laughs) so you, yeah, well, that's how you put it diplomatically. Um, I personally make my own cherries. I think it makes a big difference. The kind that you buy in the store, the ones that are that neon red color, I mean, they're fine. But if you get some sour cherries, not sweet ones, but sour when they're in season, you just um, marinate them in brandy or in whiskey, and you wait a few weeks, and you have these delicious cherries, and it really does improve the drink. Oh, mm. it does. <laughs> I never and thought you, about making my own. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Any sugar? Uh, it's incredibly simple. Just type into Google yeah. brandy huh. cherries, and a million recipes come up. It'll take you all of 15 minutes. And they must last because they're in the brandy, right? They last indefinitely. Yeah. I've made brandy cherries and continue to use the same jar over the course of two-year period. And you can use those same cherries in uh, gin and tonic. Your it's, morning it's smoothie. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, and you can put a little of that juice in your gin and tonic. Juice. Really incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you know what we didn't do? That old drink. <laughs> that no one orders anymore. I was so excited to see it in the book, the Tom Collins. Ooh, oh, yeah. I remember I love that. Tom Collins's. I'm, yeah, they're a bit out of fashion now, but that's an excellent drink, especially in the summer. Now, this has gin. We'll come back to that in a second. Simple syrup, which is sugar and water, and lemon juice and a little splash of soda simple. water. Okay, simple, that's simple. Fine. But the gin you refer to as Old Tom Gin. What's that? Old Tom Gin is a kind of gin that was popular in the 19th century. Simply put, it's a sweeter form of gin than the Mm. London dry gin that we're used to. This is one of the great things that's happened during the cocktail revival. A lot of old ingredients have come back. And now there are a number of gin companies that make Old Tom Gin again. If you want to drink the drink the way it was intended, I suggest using Old Tom Gin instead of dry gin. Robert, how do you decide what cocktail, how's this go in terms of generations? So we know generations ago, people were wildly into cocktails. I'm thinking, where do millennials stand? What's, what's going on with cocktails in general right now? Well, my understanding from uh, firsthand and, and what I've been told in studies is that cocktails are uh, the preferred drink. Cocktails and spirits are the preferred drink of the millennials, the younger generations. A few generations were put between them and, you know, their grandparents who drank cocktails. So they were able to rediscover them on their own, and they were able to be cool once again. 
whenever my wife and I go out to a restaurant nowadays, the first thing we do is we take a look at the cocktail list to see if there's anything interesting that we might want to have before the meal. Yes, a lot of the restaurants have good cocktail lists now, and that wasn't the case 10 years ago. No. Really wonderful. I am your fan, and I think you, you're just absolutely fantastic at what you do. I adore this book. Not only the recipes, but your style of writing is so fantastic. So this will be on my shelf as a classic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. This has been a delight. Okay. Robert Simonson, who's the New York Times cocktail columnist, I call him the cocktail guy. And um, he has (laughs) done this book, which is terrific. Three Ingredient Cocktails. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. We're always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We have champagne cocktails, Prosecco cocktails coming your way next. Hey! Just a little bit of soda. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island that meets the Hamptons, too. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. Thanks to Kion Wolf for helping with production assistance today, and Katie Talarski for serving as executive producer of so many shows here on our station. To hear this show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 p.m. and Saturdays at noon. You can get podcasts and our curated recommendations always online at foodschmooze.org. As we said in our last segment, all the recipes for these three-ingredient cocktails to celebrate a new time, a new year, a fresh start, we have online at foodschmooze.org along with all kinds of things. I'm making the Moscow Mule. I don't even know what it tastes like, but after hearing the story, I want well, to make one. You now. know how a dark and stormy. Yeah, sure. Love uh, it. Is, Love the dark. It was lime yeah. and rum and, rum rum. and yeah. ginger, ginger beer. beer. Yeah, yeah. It's the sort of the equivalent of that, except it was vodka. And, and I have the cups. Yeah. Most importantly, how many yeah. do you have? I'm coming over. So, I'll bring the ice. You bring so the ice. I got the cups. I have <laughs> to say that the best Moscow Mule I've ever had yeah. is when I met up with Alex Province and Matthew Bennett. When we all went as a group to Nantucket this summer to cover restaurants uh, there, remember yeah, all of yeah, us? Sure, we went. Sure. Oh, and, wow. and you guys brought your sailboat. You came to pick us up in your dinghy, which is this Italian dinghy, <laughs> and music was playing on it. It was just, <laughs> honestly, it was unbelievable. And we were all handed a Moscow mule, which was stunning. I mean, it was I just love it. Is that how you pick people up, Alex? <laughs> wow. that's how you pick unbelievable. That was as close to um, a Sophia Loren experience. Oh, wow. Do you have a little captain's hat on? Please tell me you had the captain's hat on. Okay. Next time. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> no. Okay. Hey, let's do 
these uh, sparkling wine cocktails. Um, some people prefer them with actual champagne from a certain region in France, which allows you to have that designation. And many of us like any version of sparkling wine. So we're talking about um, the Italian Proseccos. Mm. We're talking about the Spanish Cavas. Cava. Sparkling wine that you like, no matter where it's from. So I was excited. We just had this cocktail test before the show started, inspired by our guest Robert Simonson from the New York Times. And I thought these were so delicious. And we have posted these cocktails, too. And we're kind of proud of them, to tell you the mm-hmm. truth. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm proud of these creators sitting in front of me. So let's begin with the Aperol Spritz food schmooze style. Alex Province, sparkling wine, mm-hmm. Aperol, a splash of seltzer, and a beautiful garnish of an orange slice, as you'll see in our sure. So you, so you can do it two ways. You can do it in a rocks glass with ice, but for New Year's, I thought a flute is better. So we just poured some you know, champagne or sparkling, whatever your favorite is. And I wouldn't go crazy with anything too expensive. Filled it up. What would you say, Chris? About a halfway. Halfway. Mm-hmm. Added a drizzle of Aperol. And Aperol is this mm-hmm. like really bitter but beautifully colored like reddish orange made by Campari, but it's a feminine version. And then um, we just topped it off with some sparkling water, you know, some seltzer. Yeah. And, you know, you go about two-thirds up the glass. And it's great because it's lower in alcohol. So if you're having people over, you don't want to worry. I like it because, you know, you can drink it safely. Good way to start. It it is absolutely delicious. So the Aperol uh, Spritz Food Schmooze style, thanks to Alex Province. And by the way, when you go to our site, you're not only going to see these sparkling wine cocktails we're telling you about now, but you are also going to see a list that we have created of sparkling wines we absolutely love. Yeah. And they are at a wonderful price point range, I think. Really, really terrific. Okay, so that was easy. That's the kind of cocktail I like to make at home because it doesn't require devices mm. or tools. And you can't mess it it's up. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. a no-think cocktail. Yeah. Definitely so, my cocktail. So you can adjust it if you need to. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. How long does Aperol last? There are some things, liqueurs, It doesn't that, go bad, I don't no. think. No, really, it doesn't go bad. I, I find that it lasts a long time. Yeah. You know, unlike port, port lasts for about a week <laughs> in terms of its... <laughs> Well, in some houses it does. I'm looking at you, Chris. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm laughing because Aperol goes so fast in my house because, I, like I told you um, earlier, I drink it with soda. Okay, this is a great one right here. This is the Prosecco Margarita. Now, this really, amazing. this is two things that people love combined together. Mm. So we've got tequila, sparkling wine, a little squeeze of lime juice, mm-hmm. This is the opposite of the cocktail we just did because now we're taking Prosecco and we're adding tequila to it. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing you need to do is take your flute glass, add a little um, squeeze of lime to the top, you know, just to wet the rim. Roll it around in a little salt that you have some lime zest in, you know, to give it a little boost of color and flavor. Now you're going to add like a half a shot, right, mm-hmm. Chris, yeah, of tequila, not to get carried away. Yep. And then you're going to add, what did we say, maybe a full shot of Grand Marnier or, yeah, or a, somewhere yeah. between a half and a orange full. liqueur. Yeah. So, yeah, we if, had Grand Marnier, so we used that. Contra or whatever sack. you want to yeah. use. Yep. So, yep, triple sack. And if you don't want a lot of sugar, you can reduce that a little bit. And then we're going to take a Prosecco and we're just going to top Wait, it up. So there's tequila. Mm-hmm. There's Grand Marnier. Yes. I'm just going over this. Yeah. There's a squeeze of lime, lime juice, juice. Yeah. right? Yeah. Over top it off with a Prosecco. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and really, instead delicious. of seltzer, you're going to use the Prosecco. And Chris, we mix it right in the glass yeah, again. A you stir. know what? I got to say, this is a delicious cocktail. 
And a combination I've never had. I've tasted rums and different things together. I've had champagne cocktails with vodka and all kinds of yeah. things. But tequila and sparkling wine I I've never, never had together. And it's an amazing it, combination. I would it, never on a drink menu if I had seen this. As soon as I, I would not have this. ordered this. You liked it? I yeah. loved it. And I started in my head. I started singing Feliz Navidad. Yeah. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> you know what would be fun for New Year's if you're going to do like a taco bar or nachos or totally. you know, oh, Mexican-themed there you night? Go. And this is the sure. cocktail to whether it's it. New yeah, Year's no Eve question. or our brunch discussion. Yeah. Oh, you know? that works too. Really, <laughs> any, or any weekend yeah. Yeah. that you want to, that is such a great cocktail for yeah. an event like that. Oh, good. Yeah. And this is Mark Raymond who did this cranberry lime champagne cocktail. But by champagne, we mean a sparkling wine. Any it's, sparkling it's, wine, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Mark, this, let me just say the ingredients. Uh, we're using a flute again because it's, you know, it's very celebratory. Sure. Cranberry juice. A wedge of fresh lime. Yeah. Yep. And so, Prosecco. So and tell us how it comes together. So you put in the glass, you fill it up three quarters of the way with your sparkling wine. Um, here we chose to use sparkling wine from Italy. And so then we put in maybe about a half to an, a full ounce of cranberry juice. So you get that nice, bright sort of salmon color. And then you put in, squeeze in the wedge of lime, and it's very festive, it's, and it's so simple. Uh, we've got a list of our sparklers that we have tasted and recommend. You will see a Ferrari Brut at around $25. You'll see a Pasqua Prosecco Extra Dry around $15, a Domaine Laurent at $17, all of these available in our area, and one more which is available if you are traveling through Rhode Island or to Rhode Island, and possibly, we think in New York also, this is an Italian sparkler. It is delicious. It's called Mirabella Franciacorta Rosé, around $25. It is this pale, pale salmon pink. And dry and absolutely delicious. Love this list of these four sparklers. So excited about that. Go to foodschmooze.org. We're on the topic of drinks. So can I read this email that came in to all of you? Uh, This is um, from Joanne Church in New London who said, Universal Package Store opened a store in New London We recognized the guy who was working there from the other shop in Mystic. He told us a story. A woman and her husband were driving from North Carolina to Boston. They were listening to your show, The Food Schmooze, (laughs) and the wine you mentioned was very interesting to them. We had tried it at that Mystic store. Do you mm. remember this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she, she put the store, it says here, in her GPS, and they weren't that far on the highway, so they stopped at the brand-new store, and they bought over $100 worth of wines That's a great based story. on <laughs> listening while they were driving and thought, well, on the way to where we're going. Uh, there you go. Uh, we might Faith, as well you had the Oprah effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to put together a list of your favorite things. I know. <laughs> Pull off the highway here. <laughs> that means you all are for sale. Because that <laughs> that's, that's what I'd name. I'm Aww. sorry. That's the truth. The um, okay. Here's another thing. There was a story in the New York Times that I, I cut out and saved, and I'm a little bit ashamed of myself because I should have done it just before the Christmas holiday because it involves a fruitcake. 
Uh, but it's still relevant because, I mean, they do hang around. So. Speaking of oh, yeah, forever. Do yeah. they ever. <laughs> this story was so astonishing to me. Does anyone come from a culture where, I mean, we all have had experience with fruitcakes either growing mm. up or mm. now and family recipes. Every year my parents on New Year's Eve do that plum pudding that's kind of like a fruitcake. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's an English thing and it comes in a can. Oh. And it's called English plum pudding. Is it wet though? It's, no, it's a drier thing. Oh. And it, you open it up out of the can and then right at New Year's, they dump brandy on it, light it on fire oh. and eat it with just some soft cream. Like a lightly whipped cream over yeah. the top and you eat it. Yeah, After the fire kind, goes out. Yeah, and it's like a kind of fruity cake. Oh, that sounds good. That's the only one I can actually, you know, And you do. have to admit, if we put brandy and whipped cream on a shoe, yeah. we would eat it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the other. So um, here's the story from the New York Times. It turns out that I'm quoting here. So in one of the most hostile regions known to humankind – a bunch of conservationists had gathered, and what do they find but an ice-covered fruitcake that they believe belonged to the British explorer Robert Falcon Scott, and the age of this fruitcake is 106 years old. Wow. I always knew they lasted that long. I'm sure it was <laughs> like new. They I bet it was it better. Was like, this is great. They thought the, it the, out. The and, Twinkie oh, of the Christmas desserts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they've discovered this in Antarctica's um, uh-huh. oldest building, and they found the fruitcake wrapped in paper, and it was in a kind of tin. And um, a woman connected to the um, the mm. trust, the historic trust, said, I'm quoting her, she said, there was a very, very slight rancid butter smell to it. <laughs> but other than that, the cake looked and smelled edible. She said, there is no doubt the extreme cold in Antarctica has assisted in its preservation. This raises this question mm. that the article explores of why were people on these expeditions bringing fruitcake with them? It's because, so durable. Yeah. Well, yeah. Frozen, unfrozen, Even the polar bears hot. won't eat it. Yeah. They have to be starving. <laughs> So it's um, considered a very high-energy food. Sure, a lot of Still, sugar. Still, to this day, people yeah. who are going on these yeah. Antarctica treks, yeah. you know, in, in the scientific professions, they bring a token fruit cake, cake. Oh. with calorie them because dense. it really lasts. Yeah. It's and a dessert dense. you can carry. I think it's really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's clearly not know. susceptible to freezer burn. Isn't yeah. that no. amazing? No. The most are... durable food on the planet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Even the tin was like, you yeah. know, I corroding. It was the, <laughs> the cake still good. It outlasted the container. <laughs> that, old, <laughs> that old thing about a fruitcake is forever. Turns out to be absolutely, <laughs> true. absolutely wow. true. All right. Love you all to death. And I mean that in the nicest way. Love you more. Um, we're, <laughs> we're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and 9. And Saturdays at noon, weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes, never eat more than you can lift. In Hartford, soon to be in New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats when they come to mind. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.